Welcome to New in Care. I'm Bruce Joy, and today I'm interviewing Liam Chadwick. I've known Liam for around eight years through my day job at an organization called One Unit. Recently, Liam was an award winner at the International Forum on Quality and Safety in Healthcare event in Sweden, run by the IHI and BMJ. He's far too polite to toot his own horn, so I wanted to corner him, learn more about what led to that win, and what opportunities he sees for further innovation in care. Liam, thanks for joining me for this interview. Bruce, thanks for having me. Congratulations on your victory in Sweden. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, thanks <laughs> for that too. But more of a team effort than a, an individual victory. So um, tell us, uh, what prestigious award did you and your colleagues win? Uh, yeah, it was the uh, Patient Service Award at the IHI BMJ International Forum for Quality and Safety in Healthcare. And that was in uh, Gothenburg? That was, was in right? Gothenburg, yeah, a few weeks ago in June. Fantastic. So I, I was surprised, to be honest with you, because I didn't even know there was an award, um, but I was mm -hmm. delight, delighted that we that we won it. But what we what we did was we ran a 90 minute workshop around modern ward rounds um, from a staff perspective and then from a patient perspective as well. So we described work that had been done as part of the modern ward rounds report from the Royal College of Physicians and Royal College of Nurses. Uh, in the UK, which you'd worked on, well, which which referenced um, cyber structured interdisciplinary bedside rounds um, as one of the sort of exemplar models that people could look to for guidance on on a version of ward rounds they could implement, um, along with several other um, case studies and other implementations of um, interdisciplinary rounds. So, sort of following that, that report was released in January 2020, 2021, actually. Sorry, all the years blend into one with COVID. Um, and following that, the Royal College of Physicians, Royal College of Nurses, in collaboration with the Emergency Care Improvement Support Team with the NHS ESIST, ran a virtual collaborative with 15 different um, hospitals in the UK, um, so 15 different wards all looking to improve the quality of their ward rounds. So taking the guideline or the recommendations from the, the report and trying to implement um, some aspect or several aspects of it in their, their daily practice. It was really innovative in that it was a virtual collaborative during COVID, which was um, incredible that the, the guys managed to pull it off. I had a very bit part to play in all that, providing some some participation some presented the cyber rounds model and you know sort of how to prepare what is the model how does it work what should people be expecting what should they be trying to achieve what are the common pitfalls of trying to implement the model um, and then provided some uh, additional support on on follow-up calls and other webinars that the, the group were running right so out of all that 15 different wards tried pretty much 15 different things with their ward rounds and sort of following that, we thought we could um, present some of the work and the progress that was made um, at the International Forum. Well, okay, I've got two follow-ups to that. One is if you're asked to help them to do more to achieve what you might consider a reliable level of excellence with with the modern ward round, and obviously we're focused on the structured interdisciplinary bedside rounding, 
as a as the core of that. But you know, what would you want? To, what would you want to help them with? Um, and and feel free to plug your commercial services at this point. And in answering that, why on earth did these illustrious bodies in the UK want to work with you? You're not even English. Uh, you're not a famous <laughs> medical doctor, and you haven't written any best-selling books. So, in fact, you've never even walked, worked as a clinician on a ward. So, why on earth were these people working with you? What's your background? Yeah, what, why would anybody trust me, really? Um, mm. So, my background—I mean, depends on how far back you want to go—but my background really is. Well, what's your skill set? What you know? Yeah. So, I, I guess you know, I did a PhD in human error and systems thinking in healthcare. Um, finished that in, in 2010 and at the time I was really looking at how you can proactively look at the integration of new systems or new processes within healthcare treatment processes you know sort of trying to proactively identify where these things can go wrong and and how you can sort of um, optimize your chances of success when you're introducing these things and after that, you know, I kind of went to Australia and was working as a researcher there for a while. And I came across, you know, Dr. Jason Stein, who was launching the first sort of accountable care unit with structured interdisciplinary bedside rounds um, in Australia. He just so happened to be on sabbatical in the same um, department that I was working in in Melbourne. And from there, I could see that, you know, Jason had a had a process that really, like, really brought to life a lot of the things that people in patient safety, healthcare, and particularly the human factors side of, of all of that, um, we're trying to bring to everyday care processes. Um, things like you know collaborative cross-checking, situation awareness, shared mental model, um, you know, sort of resilience engineering concepts. And, and Jason sort of had had put put the model together, not with these concepts specifically in mind, but the way he had put it together gave individuals and teams an opportunity to perform things like you know shared mental models and situation awareness without ever probably understanding the terms or the the concepts behind these things they were just doing the process mm -hmm. built into the process were these sort of highfalutin concepts i guess and i saw it as a huge opportunity to improve the standard of care that was being delivered as teams to patients every day. Um, so I sort of started working with Jason then officially in 2012, you know, helping hospitals to implement accountable care units with cyber rounds. And I've been doing it for 10 years now. So having worked in Australia, America, Canada predominantly, um, and a number of the units that we've worked with have, have published outcomes that they've achieved um, off their own bat. Um, having implemented the model with, with their guidance. And, you know, a lot of those have been very successful. Um, I wouldn't say that everyone has been successful. You know, we've had, we've had failures along the way, um, but we've learned from those failures and we try to take those lessons into the next implementation and, and provide those insights to the next, next hospital that's interested in, in making this work for themselves. Um, and I think the model... I think the model that like the model interested me in that it sort of it has enough of a framework that people can can make work and they can understand, but there's enough flexibility within it that you can make it work for your own unit, and I think that's one of the the benefits of having sort of a skeleton 
with some muscle, some some connective tissue on it, but letting people, you know, add on the extra layer, you know, add in sort of the the blood vessels and add on the skin and some other major organs that they need so that the model can work in their clinical environments. So, I mean, that's that's the model and why I got interested in the model. Why did the RCP and the RCN look to us um, in terms of recommendations? I think because of the, the publications from the units that we had worked with, you know, around the successes that we had. Um, and, you know, we were, we were, we're actively trying to promote the benefit of ward rounds, not just for patients, but for staff as well, in terms of their own efficiencies, their own work environment, you know, having a having a nice envi- work environment for them to come into every day. Part of that comes down to having a good team that you're working with. Um, and ward rounds really is that sort of, for me, I suppose it's representation of the optimum potential of a clinical care team and what they can do together um, for patients and for themselves. If they were uh, coming back to you going, you know, we've got this far, um, we, we had, some of us had these successes, some of us had these failures, what, what is the overall thing that you, you would like to sort of hone in on? I mean, if I can wave, wave a magic wand, I'd probably say give us four units or six units that we could, you know, fully support and prove that the model can work in a in a British context, I suppose, or an NHS context. Um, you know, we can you know we can show the model works in a, a sort of a private US healthcare system. You know, with urban, tertiary, rural, whatever sort of hospitals and across a variety of clinical care domains. We can you know provide you with evidence from Canada. We can provide you with evidence from Australia. But everybody wants to know that it can work within their own clinical context. So um, getting a chance to really support some hospitals to implement the model um, with our resources so that they can, you know, have the training, have the the tools to upskill the, the staff so that they can perform really well and that they can start to see the outcomes that they're looking for emerge um, through through a result of a really high quality ward round process. I think uh, Jason has always said that uh, when when you see um, structured interdisciplinary bedside rounds function really really well, uh, you know not only do the team um, only take three to five minutes per patient generally, uh, and really the patient feels like they've had six to nine minutes with the team it feels you know we there's evidence that, that you get uh, two to three times the the ben, uh the time sort of benefit with patients and also um you've got a lot of work done in that moment you know a lot of um uh clinical processes that have occurred that don't have to occur later and, and so there's less phone calls and all, all that sort of thing to the medical team so less interruptions through their day um so how do you see it in terms of like the symphony that, that starts to occur? You know, how do you think that works? What have you seen? Yeah, I think, um, I think some, some people come to, to ward rounds with sort of, you know, expectations or previous experience that they assume it's, it's going to be the same thing again. And I think the big difference that we've, that we focus on really is having the structure and the clarity of, what is going to happen during the interaction 
who's going to be responsible for bringing in which piece of information and in what order is that information going to be shared and i think that clarity and that role assignment um you know makes it really transparent as to who's accountable for you know sharing which piece of information forward about the patient's care progress and i think that provides a lot of like relief to staff they know what to expect they know how to they can practice it they can you know learn how to deliver it really well they can you know they can start off you know playing their instrument and you know they're quite happy if they can play a few nursery rhymes but after a while they want to play more than nursery rhymes and they want to start playing you know those symphony pieces um and i think I think I, I consider cyber rounds maybe a little bit more like jazz than classical music because classical music is, I would consider classical music perhaps quite scripted, whereas we don't advocate for scripting as part of cyber rounds. It's more of a, here's the points that you need to hit and you can deliver them in the way that, you know, reflects you as the, the expert, the care practitioner who's adequately trained to provide their piece during this cyber and process. And to me, that's a bit more like jazz where you've got, you know, the, the guitarist knows their role. They know what chords they need to be hitting, you know, based on a fairly loose structure. Um, and then, you know, they're going to hand it over. They're going to do their little, um, their little improv, and then they'll hand it over to the bass player who will then hand it over to the, the pianist who will hand it back to, you know, the trumpeter. And you've got the, you know, the band leader who might be the pianist who brings it all together at the end. And that's sort of, you know, moving from your, your physician who's doing the introduction and setting up the hospital course and what's happened so far, you know, they're checking in with the patient, you know, um, to see if everything makes sense. You know, that's your pianist, you know, sort of setting everything up. And you might look at the, the crowd to see how everything is going so far. Then he hands it over to the, you know, the nurse. Um, it could be the guitarist who's doing their little piece. Um, and they know they got to be hitting those, you know, events from overnight, you know, pain, um, ADLs, mental status, um, you know, kind of their um, goal for the day. That's a really key piece. And then they're going through their quality safety checklist and they can deliver that checklist, you know, in a way that sort of, you know, identifies to the physician and the rest of the team that there is an issue here that the team need to resolve, but not in a way that it alarms the patient or the family member, you know. Um, and then you move on to the pharmacist who can go through the, the medications, the antimicrobials to narrow IV to PO switches, um, really sort of get the jobs done that they need to get done, identify new orders and get those flagged with the physician. And the same for discharge workers, care managers. And you can do all of this typically, you know, in, in four minutes. I mean, if you look at a cyber diagram online, it's it seems a little bit aggressive. The timings are probably for three minutes, um, but they're more indicative to suggest that people, you know, to not um, spend all day, you know, per patient. You've got 15 or 16 patients that you're trying to get to in the space of 60 minutes. Um, so you gotta be on point. Uh, take the time to answer the questions. Some cybers will, you know, run seven, eight minutes and others will be short. They'll be, you know, two, two and a half minutes. Um, but on average, you know, you'll probably come out at the four minute mark. And one of the hospitals we worked with years ago, they actually timed their cyber rounds across, I think it was four units, five units for about three years. Um, and on average, it came out at just under four minutes per patient. Um, so we know this, it's obviously different 
you know, in a, in a more critical care environment, you might be talking closer to 10 or 11 minutes. But that's fine as long as the structure that you've agreed to and the inputs that you're providing are helping you to get the work done in an efficient manner and everyone ends up singing from the same hymn sheet or playing from the same sheet of music uh, day in, day out. I think the um, the jazz analogy is really good in the sense that things can change. You know, uh, patients might want to ask a couple of questions um, and you know, you can jazz it. You can you can manage yeah. that. Or um, we have teams that have met calls occur in the middle of them, and, and members yeah. of the cyber team have to leave to to go manage that met call. And depending on the situation, depending on on who's on that round, the round can continue without those people because everybody can can step into whatever roles need need to be there. Um, exactly, but I think that can only happen when you have that sort of structure mm-hmm. in place the yes, clarity and people know and people kind of know you know what it's what it's supposed to sound like in general you know they know the jazz right. standards that they're sort of playing to and sure it can it'll change and it'll change each time and it'll change here or there um, and sometimes you might be down you might be down one of your your team members you might be missing a, one of your band mm-hmm. members but that's okay and um, usually someone else has some some information they can provide a lot of the times the patient can provide some very valuable insight themselves, which I think is, right. is also key and also forgotten. You know, often, oftentimes you'll be on this, attending a cyber and observing it and you'll hear the, the team mentioned that they're waiting on, you know, patient's mobility before they're able to discharge them. And the patient will say, or the, the, the family member will say, oh, we just did two laps of the round this, of the ward this morning. And it's like, okay, great. That was the, that was what we were looking for. All of a sudden you're able to, you know, move forward with, with uh, getting that discharge. Yeah, set up right and we, we also teach you know a range of you know i don't know what the jazz term would be little little phrases or whatever that you can always fall back on so for example for, at the end of uh, you know where the doctor does the intro to be able to say something like does that sound right to you is there any, anything else you'd like to add the power of that phrase i, I think is amazing in the sense that you know for me i've actually used that in, and adopted it in my own life because uh, i realize um, you know to to be honest about the fact that i could have got some uh, the information wrong and i can check back in to determine that i actually did state you know what what's true for them um, and and really encourage them to be able to to add something but at the same stage, that phraseology is so clever in the sense that I have been on so many rounds where um, the doctor states that phrase or the equivalent and the patient says, yeah, that's right. Or the family says, yeah, that's right. We don't get into seven minutes of a, a long story. And this is often you know, one of the, the concerns that a lot of clinicians have, the idea of getting to the bedside and engaging with the patient and family, um, they think, oh, we'll never get through it because we've got all these people who want to talk. Well, actually, not when the, the family and the patient get to hear a structured uh, update that gives them the answers to basically every one of their questions. Yeah, for sure. And I think patients have this fear, our families have this fear, that uh, you know they've got, they're going to get one chance to see the doctor, or the care team. Um, so once they see them, they they grab them and they hold on to them. And that's what happens if you haven't set the expectation with them of what is going to happen. Here we do 
our team rounds, you know, every day, whether that's, you know, Monday to Friday or seven days a week. And what will happen is the team will come in, we'll, you know, give an update of who you are, why you're here, what's happened so far. And the nurse is going to go through things that have happened in the last 24 hours effectively um, and anything, any risk dates that have, that have emerged in that period of time. Then we'll get the inputs from the pharmacist or the, the social worker. Maybe you've got, um, you know, therapists, physiotherapists, speech language therapists available. Um, and then, you know, we'll, we'll wrap it all up so that we know what the care plan is between ourselves, but also that you know what the care plan is. And when you go through that sort of conversation, and, and, and cyber is effectively just a series of one-to-one conversations where everyone is talking to the patient and everyone else is just eavesdropping um, and listening in for, for any critical updates. But that explaining what's going to happen and that this is going to happen tomorrow and it's going to happen the day after that and the day after that until you're discharged, then you just see the, the concerns from the patient and the family dissipate because they, they're all of a sudden being told that they're going to be kept up to date about what's happening. And the onus is, is sort of on them to, you know, either, you know, be available in person, you know, send a family member if, if, if that's possible. And if not, and the team can manage it, you know, to be available to, to participate remotely via phone call so that you can hear what exactly has happened and what the, what the plan is. Because a lot of the times the team, you know, the team will, will know what the plan is. And they'll know what they're working towards in terms of when and where for discharge. But a lot of the time, the, the patient and the family might not be so clear. So being able to arrange it so that they, you know, they know when they're when they're due for pickup or when they're going to transfer, you know, the, their elderly father from the hospital to a post-acute care facility. Um, those little things help the team to get that discharge happening much more efficiently, which is typically why we end up seeing you know, significant reductions in length of stay. Um, you know, I just was looking at some data there from a unit we started working with back in June that launched cyber. Mm-hmm. And they've, um, in the three months prior, or I suppose two months prior in the month that they sort of launched cyber, their length of stay on the unit was 5.6 days. And in the last two months, it's gone down to 4.6 days. So, you know, they managed to shave one day per patient off for their average length of stay, which obviously opens up a huge, you know, um, opportunity for them to, you know, treat more patients with the existing resources and get patients out happier um, and quicker and get them back to their loved ones. And the longer you're in the hospital, the more likely it is that something bad is going to happen to you. So you want to be getting out as quick as you can. So there's definite gains um, to be made from, you know, just having some structure and having a process in place that happens reliably. Absolutely. Is this something that can be adopted by every type of unit? And if so, um, you know, what's the tempo for um, subacute versus acute versus other types of units? Yeah. Um, can it be adopted by every type of unit? I think you need to have physicians on units with 75, 80% of their patients on that same unit. If, if the physicians are going to be you know, traveling around the hospital on safari rounds, going to find their patients, trying to find the bedside nurse, trying to find the physiotherapist for the unit or or the care manager for the unit. It just doesn't work particularly efficiently. And think of all the time that's spent just traveling the, the hospital, the corridors, 
how, how little work is getting done typically in that time um, compared to if you have your physicians who are geographically oriented. And that geographic orientation might be, you know, seven days on, and then they might, you know, hand off to another physician that they're just handing the unit over and back to. Or we've seen environments where a group of physicians will pull together. Um, you know, you might have four or five, six physicians, and they'll do one week in a hospital as the sort of, you know, physician in charge of the unit. So they'll do one week on and they might not be back on for four or five weeks. Um, but they'll take care of the patients that are in the unit um, for that four or five weeks. And then they'll do their private work, you know, their, their community-based work or their private practice in the other, you know, four or five weeks. And units that have done that or physician groups that have done that, they typically see an increase in their productivity because they're not task switching between, you know, in-hospital queries and their private practice or their clinics. They're able to solely dedicate their time um, while they're doing those. Um, so that's sort of the initial sort of limitation, I suppose, having a, a good number of your patients on the unit. And after that, it's really, it's really a matter of will, I think. Um, nurses typically, um, benefit a lot from the process because they, they they know they will get their updates um, and they know they will be able to have a conversation with the rest of the team around the care plan, the plan for discharge. We're not leaving nurses uh, getting questions such as, uh, uh, when's the doctor coming? And When's the and doctor coming? When, when, when are they going home? You know, what's their plan for discharge? Where are they going to be sent to? How long are they going to need to be there? How long are they going to be in the hospital? All of those things just sort of disappear. Especially the problem, you know, uh, that we've heard a number of our nursing colleagues say, I've, I spent my life getting those questions and really pretending to give some sort of answer, but not knowing truly what was in the minds of the, the doctor. I remember some of the New South Wales surveys, the way that um, patients thought about their nurses in terms of their competence um, jumped in the post environment because the, the, the nurses are actually knowing what's going on. They can say to patients, um, actually, we'll be able to answer all those questions in the cyber round this morning that's occurring at 10.30 or whenever it occurs. Exactly. And I think, you know, you have all these team members, you know, experts taking care of patients um, and they're doing all this work. But a lot of the time that work isn't surfaced with the patients. So the patients don't understand everything. They don't get to see everything that's being done for them, you know, potentially in the, the, the offices or the, the corridors of the hospital. And that's all in service of their care, where I think cyber really is an opportunity for the team to come together in front of the patient and to tell them all of the things that they are doing for the patient to take care of them and to make sure that they're getting the best care that they can and that they're going to be discharged as efficiently as possible to a suitable location. So I think that's, I think it's just a great opportunity to showcase and to, to get work done in a very short period of time together as well. Now, I'm sure um, somebody who listened to this will notice that you dodged a question of mine. You know, I don't know if you're becoming a politician, but uh, <laughs> you, you know, you, you've dodged a really important question. If, if I'm a a consultant in Australian terms, if I'm a consultant on a subacute ward, mm. I'm thinking, well, this may be all well and good for an acute gen med ward yes. or something like this, but uh, 
how on earth is this going to work for me? I, I, you know, my patients are forever uh, receiving some form of of occupational therapy or whatever, you know, there's a lot of allied health involved. We'd never be able to organize all of them to be there. Why on earth would we cyber on our patients every day? We don't change the care plan that often. So what, what do you recommend around that? Yeah, agreed. Sorry, I didn't mean to dodge the question. I just forgot it ever existed. So um, I think for acute care patients, there's enough things happening for acute care patients that the team should be meeting with the patient, you know, every day. Um, there's, you know, clinical issues that are emerging. There are additional um, inputs that need to be factored into the to the diagnosis or the, the care progression, or maybe there's a non-response to the treatment that, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to leave slide. You don't want to normalize the deviance. Um, of a patient's, you know, slowly declining, you know, blood pressure or um, or heart rate. Uh, so in acute care environments, you know, our recommendation will be use cyber every day and ideally seven days a week. At the weekend, you might not have, you know, therapists, you might not have pharmacists, you might not have care managers. It might just be the doctor and the nurse. But that's, there's often enough things that have emerged potentially overnight in acute care environments, that it is still very valuable for the doctor, nurse, and the patient to be all together and to discuss what's happened and to potentially, you know, think about, well, you know, for you to be able to discharge, you know, Monday or Tuesday, um, you know, your physiotherapist, you know, wanted you to be able to, you know, getting out of bed by Saturday and wanted you to be potentially walking around a little bit. Um, on the unit on Sunday and, you know, seeing whether those that progress is being made. And if it's not being made, you know, is there an opportunity for the physician or the nurse to help the patient to do some of that mobilization? Yeah. So that would be our recommendation for acute care environments. For subacute environments, yeah, you're dead right. I mean, if the if things aren't changing, you know, sufficiently fast enough um, that they require daily cyber, then don't do daily cyber. Um, you know, you can either do you can either do a scheduled, you know, twice a week cyber. Um, if it's long term care, maybe it's only once a week cyber. We have had units, um, uh, skilled nursing facilities, post care care facilities, where they will effectively cyber on all the odd patient numbers, patient room numbers. Um, you know, Monday and Wednesday, they'll do the odd room number or the even room numbers on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, And then they'll add in to any of those days, a patient who something has emerged that they need to discuss or a family member is going to be present um, for the round during that day. So it'd be great if they could get an update so that your total rounding census is, you know, around 12 to 14 patients. Um, What happens on Fridays, you might you know, identify the patients for the list that you want to see for Friday, that you want to be able to um, make progress on over the weekend, or or you just had some lingering concerns from earlier on in the week. So you you know we would we would refer to that sort of process as you know um, str- schedule cyber plus purposeful rounders. So those extra patients that are getting onto the list each day, and um, because of an emerging concern or a family member present, who'd like an update. 
obviously, though, if you're if you're talking even more acute environments, if you're talking, you know, something like an, an emergency department, you probably need to be, you know, doing some version of an interdisciplinary round, you know, every four to six hours to keep up with the, you know, why are the patients in here, what's been done for them, what are we waiting to be done, what's the decision around admit or just or, you know, send sent home again. So that's how it kind of works. Right. And in terms of engineering this model, um, this is something that you sometimes work uh, very directly with teams on to help them get up and running uh, and maybe just nudge them 5% here, 5% there. Um, sometimes people can figure out the, those elements themselves. Um, what? Where do you find you need to put in the most effort to kind of course correct or maybe you know help them avoid some of the uh, uh you know the things that they're blind to um i think the the main priority if you're going to launch some version of interdisciplinary rounds um should be upskilling the people who will be participating in rounds to be able to actually deliver the process efficiently and at a high quality I think a frequent mistake that hospitals make when it comes to introducing rounds is that they think, well, everybody's a professional. Everybody's, you know, trained to be a doctor, nurse, pharmacist, care manager, etc. Therefore, they will be able to come together um, as part of an interdisciplinary round and just do it. And unfortunately, that is just not the case. And if you don't spend the time training and upskilling staff about you know, how, what, what, what is the process? How does the process work? Why are you doing the process in the first place? What are we trying to achieve in terms of um, clarity amongst the team? Um, what is the plan of care? What is the plan for discharge? How are we integrating the patient's goal for the day? All these sorts of things, they just won't happen. And if they are not happening, and they're not happening with the degree of fluency and fluidity and efficiency, then the round will feel clunky. It will feel like it's not a good use of time. And if it feels like that to staff, then they won't feel like it's a value add in their day. It's just another hour on top of everything else that they're expected to do. And it'll start to get people pulling back from participating. Um, and that's when things start to crumble and start to fall apart a bit. Also, if you're if you're not getting to enough, if you're not delivering the round to enough patients each day or whatever the, the acuity requires, you're never going to see the outcomes that you expect. So if your physician teams, you know, have 15, 16, 18 patients a day, you probably won't be prepared enough to run a formal cyber type interaction with the team the first morning they're in the unit. You just won't have had enough time to have worked them up. So you probably wouldn't run a formal cyber on them that first morning, but from the next morning on, you would run a formal cyber. Now, at the end of your sort of cyber hour, your cyber time, you would still, like it would still be good practice as a team, go to those few new patients on the unit, introduce the team perhaps, tell them that you just finished your team rounds, maybe explain what team rounds are when they happen you know please invite your family member um or, or or let them know that this is happening and if there's a phone number we could potentially call them in on um 
And that sort of helps to set the expectations so that they don't come armed with 50 different questions and end up taking half an hour when the team is trying to get through, you know, 15 patients in 60 minutes. So those would be the sort of two main points that, that teams tend to fall down on. They tend to not not upskill themselves enough, whether that's through, you know, sort of formal online learning, coaching and feedback once the process is launched, maybe some simulation um, scenario training before they launch the process, um, and then upskilling new staff as they come onto the unit so that they're also informed and, and up to speed of what, what the expectations are. You know, a lot of hospitals now are struggling with, you know, float nurses, they're struggling with staffing um, on the physician side, you know, a lot of people are retiring, you've got new new people coming in who are just who just graduated, they might not have as much experience. It's it's difficult to get things running smoothly and, and getting people trained up. But if you don't take the time to do that, the process is not going to feel efficient and you're not going to see the outcomes that you're hoping for. Right. I think you've talked in a way about the implementation and, and the base the basis of sustainment. But one of the other things that I think we've seen in a lot of places, it doesn't happen everywhere, but it, but a lot of places, um, the leadership who are involved in this amazing, successful new care model, there's a couple of things that happen. You know, they, they tend to get promoted because they've done this amazing thing and, you know, they move on in their career with this feather in their cap or, in fact, um, a large part of the organisation is not structured for interdisciplinary practices. Um, and the leadership is still reporting through the silos of their disciplines. And so that becomes a, a, a tension as well. So... What I know we find particularly difficult is when uh, leadership changes or leadership don't know how to manage in the kind of cro- the pull and push of the rest of the organization, uh, particularly amongst their peers, where their peers are not, you know, doing a team-based care practice. Um, and it can kind of expose them in, in, in some ways. So I feel like uh, one of the things that we've been learning over the you know the last five years or so is that that's that's an important lesson as well what do you what do you think about that yeah each unit needs to have a a nurse unit manager plus a physician co-lead which then form a diet partnership to lead the unit Um, and that's really important because if you have you know some issues around physician engagement or availability or participation um, or personalities with the process, you need to have a physician leader who can, you know, have a peer-to-peer conversation with those with those physicians. It's very difficult for a nurse unit manager to have those sorts of conversations with the physicians on the unit. It's much easier for a physician medical director of a unit to have those conversations with other physicians. Um, and, you know, that sort of um, dyad leadership um, are really responsible and accountable for, you know, that unit. That is their their baby. That is what they're trying to optimize um, and optimize it for the staff themselves, the patients, the, the outcomes that they're delivering, that they align with organizational goals. And that's, I suppose, the foundation of the, the governance framework that we've 
and we're working towards putting in place um, to help the units to be successful. And you're dead right. You know, a lot of the times we'll see that, um, you know, a hospital will get, you know, the first two or three units up and running and they'll start to see the outcomes that they really want. And they're thinking, this is brilliant. I'm going to take the nurse from that, the nurse manager from that unit, and I'm going to assign them to this other unit. And I'm going to take the physician who was the partner on that unit and I'm going to assign them to another unit. And I'll just replace the, you know, their, their their roles on that first unit so they do that the poor people who come into the first unit with or without training yeah with or without training that's the thing you know um so it happens so frequently so the the new the new leadership dyad get thrust into you know this high functioning unit and you know they weren't they didn't have the the time to 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 learn the lessons the hard way to make the baby steps to see the incremental change they just have this unit and you know they think that what they have is is good they don't really know what it was beforehand they don't potentially know how bad it was they don't know you know how to how to maintain it uh, and now you have this successful dyad split up who are now working on two different units you have to reform relationships potentially with other unit leadership dyads um, and have to start from scratch and they might have just you know killed themselves for the last two years to get their own unit to a really nice, cozy, cruising altitude of high performance. And now they've, they're, you know, they're back down having to do it all again. And some people love that. You know, we, we sort of had a, ran a symposium a couple of years ago with a number of unit leadership diets present. And some of them self-identified as loving, you know, starting from scratch, taking something up to, a, you know, a new standard and then, you know, cutting loose and going off and doing it again. Whereas others were much happier, openly admitted to being much happier to either doing it once and then maintaining it, or actually just taking over the role from you know the person who had done it and wants to move on. Um, and I think that's important to identify that sort of um, leadership preference. You know, when you when you do initially have the success and are thinking to to rolling out further. And there's some there was a paper published just last year actually from the hospital that we worked with. From the northwest in the US, reporting their um, mortality reductions, and they sort of had the unit running for five years, and you know, considering um, their first year is sort of pre, and then by the time it got to year two, they had reduced mortality on the unit quite significantly, um, down to um, an adjusted odds ratio of about 0.58. Um, so you know, they'd they'd you know. Um, reduce their numbers quite significantly in terms of fatalities on the unit. And the hospital thought this was brilliant. So obviously what they did was they got the unit physician co-lead and the nurse and started having them implement the model on additional units. And once they did that, and they say this in the paper themselves, um, Early success of the ACU led hospital executives to request our help in spreading the model, diluting our focus on the original unit. So they didn't have the time to take care of the daily, you know, upkeep of the unit that they had gotten running really smoothly. And their mortality started to rebound. So it went from, let's say, a baseline of one down to, you know, an odds ratio of 0.58. And by the time it got to year five, it was right back up to one again. Um, so they might have been spreading to additional units, 
But by spreading, they were diluting the insights and the time that the initial unit leaders had so that the initial unit was had, had reverted back to where it was in terms of performance. And that's a common occurrence that we see, that um, hospitals see the gains, want more of the gains, and then fumble when they go to actually do that spread. Right. And we, we've been seeing this across a decade, haven't we? Um, so as an engineer, you've you've come up with some solutions that, it, that are you know, intended as kind of like lightweight interventions, very easy to do and um, lead into having a better kind of governance approach to actually seeing the data that's that's occurring and, and allowing for quick uh, responses when, when things are going wrong. Um, tell us a little bit about the online tools that uh, are now available um, to teams to kind of make it easier to support more teams across a hospital and have you know, kind of get past that point of uh, fumbling the ball when your mm. your absolute experts um, are no longer just looking after their prized unit. Yeah, um, I suppose if you you know take the you know resilience engineering, it's it's better to know that the system is drifting towards you know an unsafe state than to find out that the system is now in an unsafe state. So you know, identifying that you're starting to lose the performance that you had so that as early as possible so that you can course correct so that you're, main, you're, you're making many small interventions rather than, you know, having to make very large interventions to, to regain um, the standard of care that you, that you had achieved. So one of, the, one of the tools that we've developed is just a, a simple way of tracking for each team on a unit, how many patients are they, you know, getting to each day in terms of the cyber interaction? How many of those are at the bedside? How many are occurring in the hallway? Um, how many are getting the family involved in the interactions, either in person or, you know, remotely via telephone? And then what is the, the team saying the quality of the cyber round is actually like. So over time, you'll have you know staff members who come and go in the units. And they 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 often won't know what was what came before them and whether what came before them was gold or what came before them was you know pretty average. Um, but having a a sort of a consistent a somewhat consistent um, evaluation of the round in terms of quality, you know, kind of, you know, the, the first measure is, you know, did it start on time? You know, just the round, if, if the process, the cyber round, whatever your, your version of interdisciplinary rounds is, is due to start at 10 o'clock, 10.30 every day, and it's not happening at that time, that is a massive dissatisfier for everybody who turns up at the appropriate time, ready to go, um, who then finds out that actually it's going to be 10 minutes late because, you know, they can't find the first nurse or the physician team, you know, aren't available or whatever the other reason might be. Um, so just, you know, tracking, are we starting on time is a huge thing. And then it's things like, you know, are we, are we really engaging the patients using patient-friendly language, you know, in a non-hurried manner? Are we sticking to the, to the structure um, that we've laid out? Um, that's the you know we, we did describe the structure 
Uh, we know we know it's got benefits. You know, we got to make sure that we're sticking to it. And then, you know, are we hitting things like you know the plan of care, the plan for discharge, the the patient's goal for the day, all those sorts of things, and and tracking those measures consistently over time, and using that data as part of the the nurse unit leader and the physician co leaders weekly meetings or bi bi weekly meetings to see are there you know are we maintaining the standard that we want to be maintaining or you know, are we seeing little blips in performance that we need to maybe just do an extra observation on? We need to get in at the end of the round and just have a little debrief, you know, kind of what went well, what could we do better the next time? And really simple stuff. Um, but just ensuring that everybody is keeping, you know, keeping the gold standard in mind or, or knowing that they're, they're, they're trying to incrementally improve um, over time rather than, sitting on their laurels and things sort of starting to slowly drift away from, you know, the great performance that they were achieving. You and I have been doing a bit of light reading recently, and we read excerpts of um, Peter Garling's 2008 report into uh, New South Wales Health. Um, New South Wales is a state in Australia, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, and he was he was running an inquiry into the public uh, hospital system after some unfortunate things had occurred. And uh, I think something jumped out to me that also jumped out to you. And so this is 2008. Um, one of his recommendations was the workforce at large of New South Wales Health be realigned so as to recognize the following principles. Each member of the clinical workforce should be prepared to work within a multidisciplinary environment as a member of or as a contributor to an interdisciplinary team responsible for the delivery of patient-centered care. Patient-centered care is to be provided by a team which allocates in accordance with the principles of shared care. I think one of the things that struck me was just how depressing it was to be, you know, 14 years later and feel like sometimes uh, when we have conversations of, about team-based care or microsystems of care or, you know, uh, new levels of, of patient-centered care that are incredibly reliable, it just feels very, very new. Um, of course, it's very old because uh, a lot of people say, no, this is just a return to old forms of practices fair enough um but yeah how do you how do you feel when when you when you looked at that report uh from 2008 yeah when i initially found the report i hadn't looked at the year and i thought this was a new report and i was like brilliant this guy is like nailed it you know we can you know this can be a foundation for jumping forward you know taking some significant ground and then i realized that it was written in 2008 and I, I, I suppose my heart sank a little bit. I was like, yeah, you know, this is, this is 14 years later, you know, how much progress has really been made. Right. Um, and I think, you know, I think, you know, there's been several literature reviews around, you know, interdisciplinary rounds, you know, there's the, the guidance, you know, sort of around modern ward rounds, you know, but, you know, what should they look like? Why should they look like that? Um, but when you look at the the evidence, you know, a lot of the times that it's it's not necessarily quite there um, that they can bring about the impact that we ourselves have seen on units mm -hmm. that we've worked with. 
and that you know others that we've worked with have, have seen themselves and i think i think there's a presumption perhaps that you know interdisciplinary rounds or, or ward rounds whatever term you're using yourself are all the same and therefore you know the quality is always the same the process is maybe slightly different but effectively there there is an assumption that what's being done if done well will guarantee you uh, the outcome that you're looking for and our experience has been that actually what does happen on ward rounds is massively different from unit to unit often from hospital to hospital even from physician to physician within the same unit yeah um, staff aren't trained they're not upskilled they're not given any coaching they're not giving any feedback there's no no measurement of what's happening on the round and there's no way to compare you know performance across uh, teams or across units and these are some of the fundamentals that are I suppose missing to provide the clarity around what is happening on ward rounds and whether you know to potentially explain why the units aren't seeing the outcomes or the studies didn't see the outcomes that they were hoping for um and i think until we get to a level until we start to measure these things we're not going to be able to manage them and we're not going to be able to report them we're not going to be able to provide the evidence that get people as bought in as we probably like them to be bought in. But yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to take really, you know, a report from 2008 that I thought could have been written yesterday. Um, right. So spot on. And um, we're still sort of faced with the same, a lot of the same, all the same issues and concerns. And even more so, you know, as a result of COVID, you know, evidence is starting to emerge that, you know, hospital acquired complications, adverse events, are back to the levels that they were at, you know, probably eight, maybe even 10 years ago. So all of the improvement work that had been done, all of the gains that had been made have evaporated um, yes. in the space of 24 months. And now you've got a situation where people are burned out, they're frustrated, mm -hmm. people are retiring, there's, you know, new trainees coming through that don't have the experience that, you know, they had four or five years ago when they were doing a lot of this quality work. So I think it's going to take significantly longer to get back to the realized gains that were made. But I do want to make one um, sort of note of, in, uh, of optimism. Um, some of the cyber units that uh, we support um, were the only units that we know of where patients and their families were actually getting daily updates yeah, you know, structured, reliable updates that they could participate in every day because the the rounds continued, and you know, half of the rounds in some units were were actually um, having families attend. In fact, in one uh, environment, it was way over ninety percent. So, uh, I my my hat is off. Not that I wear a hat normally, but my hat's off to to the whole team that was involved in that one because you know, you can really see that the whole team's behind cyber in that sort of circumstance because it takes, you know, giving out literature uh, to the patient and family when they first arrive on, on the ward or the unit. And it takes uh, the organization and the belief that, that, of course, the team's going to be there for cyber and therefore you can absolutely rely on it. And that's the point of communication for the family to really participate in and know what's going on. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Bruce. Where should people find you? 
Yeah, Twitter handle is at Dr. Liam Chadwick. And obviously I'm not the medical doctor. I'm of the PhD variety. Uh, Oneunit.com um, for anybody who's particularly interested in accountable care units or cyber rounds. Let's go through the contact page. Uh, yeah, you can go through the contact page. We have, you know, bi-monthly webinars that you can register for, or if you want to have, you know, a, a webinar specifically for your team or your unit, you can book a time with us or you can you can send a request. We're more than happy to have a conversation and share some lessons with anybody who's interested in improving care for patients. Um, you can email me directly, liam at oneunit.com. More than happy to field questions as well. You know, happy to talk to anybody who sees the potential of, of getting all the team members together with the patient to discuss their care and how we can improve, you know, what's being delivered to them and what they're receiving and to make their, their work lives just better for themselves. Well, Liam, thank you for what you do and thanks for the conversation. Thank you, Bruce, and have a great day. Thanks again to Liam. If you're listening to this via YouTube, I will put his Twitter handle, LinkedIn profile and the oneunit.com site that he mentioned in the description below the video. And I'll add the same information to the podcast show notes. Thanks for listening and thanks for being someone who wants to fix the broken, enhance the ordinary and create the new. Best wishes in all that you do.